Amen. Man, oh man. I don't know about you, but it's been good to be here. And uh, I think all them heathens that skipped out on tonight, amen? No, I'm just being serious. But, uh, <clears throat> uh, I don't know if in my, I know I say that I have a lot of favorite songs, but that one right there is just about one of my top three favorite songs ever. And I don't, I, I don't know, I guess I'm just weird. I guess that's just what it is. But I, I just I sit over there, which I don't know why I'm coming over here for. I just sat over there and I just looked at that choir. And I just sat there and looked at that choir. That's the best looking choir we ever had, by the way. Not just because half of them were my kids, but uh, <laughs> that's what it's supposed to look like. And, and from what I think, most of the kids up there have been saved. I had the privilege of baptizing. And I just wish some of you parents would be as willing to serve and as joyful as they were to run to that choir. Because, friends, I hope that you know something. If you and I don't teach them to make a joyful noise, the world will teach them to worship some of the most ungodly, wicked music that you've ever heard. If we don't show them that it is a privilege for them to be here and singing with us and worshiping with us and teaching them, there was more smiles in that choir than I've ever seen. Even some of the people that usually don't smile look around. Paul, I thought you were just mothering all that front row there. It's like kids everywhere. There were some people looking around going, well, look at that. I saw teeth that I hadn't seen in years from some of you. Why? Because the Lord is at work. The Lord is doing things. And we should be thankful that on a Sunday night, May the 2nd, God is at work. I had them pull records today, and May 2nd of 2010 was one of the worst days on a Sunday night that this church ever had. It's the day my wife and I joined. May 2nd of 2010. But it was also a wonderful day. Colby Darnell was baptized that morning. And uh, so it's just a special day. And to, to be here and to watch what God is doing. And, and I brag on Jamie all the time, so I'm going to brag on the choir and everybody else tonight if that's all right. But just to see the joy, to see the excitement, I'm telling you, it blessed me. And if you weren't blessed at this point, I guess you're just going to have to get saved. You're just going to have to get over whatever's got you stuck in the mud and realize that it's okay to worship the Lord. It's okay for the... It's not okay to use the wrong bathroom, but it's okay no matter which gender you're in in the choir row. Amen? I'm telling you, that ought to cause excitement and enjoy in your soul. I'm telling you. You have your Bibles tonight, if I can even get this started. <laughs> we'll be in Matthew chapter 8. And we're looking at tonight at a sermon titled, Compassion and Authority. Compassion and Authority. Tonight, one of two things happen. When people get in authority, they usually take it for granted. They abuse it. Whether it's the president whether it's the governor, whether it's a senator, 
When they get power, it usually corrupts. That's why in states like Illinois and California, when everything is run by Democrats, they push whatever they want through no matter who is in the minority. But friends, I want you to know that Jesus had all authority, but yet he was compassionate. And this church has been given whatever authority that God has given us according to his word, but we ought to be careful never to use it unless we use it with compassion in our hearts, compassion in our life. The church is not a place where we sit around and judge one another for our faults and poke fun at. It is a place where we recognize that we are all broken, that we are all sinners. But yet God is compassionate, even though He has all authority. And tonight, we're going to be looking just straight through chapter 8. And I want to show you that most of us need a healthy reminder in what it means to be compassionate. Now, I know what you're saying. Not me, pastor. I'm compassionate. I'm long-suffering. I'm forgiving. Yeah, you're probably not near as much as you think you are. And tonight, I want to show you our example. Because sometimes we get to thinking pretty high and mighty of ourselves. Sometimes we get to forgetting how wicked we were when God found us and how we view other people. Now, I know that's not you, but it's me. And so tonight I want you to pray with me, and then we'll jump right in. Father, I thank you for the time that we've had tonight. I thank you for the abundance of blessings that you've poured out. I thank you for this congregation, Lord, and how special they are. Not perfect, but Lord, how special they are. And Lord, I pray that you'd use this time together to encourage us, to revitalize us, Lord, just to remember how good it is to be in your family. And Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Four things that I want to show you about this compassionate God who has all authority. He heals those with the worst disease. Look what it says here in verses 1 through 4. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him. If you underline in your Bible, underline those two words, touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way. Show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. You see, I don't know if you understand the significance of this. Many times people could touch Jesus' clothes and he would be healed. Many times he spoke and people were healed. But in this instant, he reached out and touched this person. And I believe this is the reason. Leprosy in this day and age was the most deadly, vicious disease on the face of the planet. The Old Testament said they were unclean. They had to go live in a special place. If you met them on the street, they'd had to yell it, get across from you. 
They were completely and totally outcast by society. They had no hope. They had no purpose for living. They had to go away from their family and friends, quit their job. They were useless. But yet they were contagious. And this person comes to Jesus wanting to be healed. Now, I don't know about you, but I am pretty grossed out by a lot of things. I have an extremely weak stomach. If I see you gag, I'm gagging. Just wait, I almost made myself gag right there. That would be embarrassing. <laughs> what happened right there? Jake Gray. But, uh, but it's true. Like I, I, You all think it's just because I don't love my wife that I don't cheer, change diapers, but that's not it, people. I mean, it's literally, I don't want to puke on my child. That's something that the family doesn't recover from. Now, the baby would because they wouldn't remember, but the rest of my kids would be like at their 16th birthday. Do you remember this one time when your dad puked on you? Yeah, that was a good time. But no, I want you to hear this. No one else would have nothing to do with this person. They wouldn't look at them. They wouldn't help them. They wouldn't care about them. But Jesus reached out and touched them. Can you imagine? We don't know how long this person had had leprosy for sure. There are many speculations. But this is the one thing that this person had not experienced for however long it was, is human touch. This, this idea of someone loves me enough to touch. I, uh, I uh, don't do it as often as I should, but I love to hold my wife's hand. Now, it's hard to hold your wife's hand when she's got two kids here, one on her back, you know, but there's just something about it. Now, if you're old and you don't hold your hand with your wife, get over it. Reach over and grab it and see how it goes. But uh, it's special. It's just this idea that, that, that it's just special. And I believe Jesus touched him because he wanted him to know that it don't matter how broken, how messed up, how pitiful the world views you, Jesus loves you. That Jesus cared about this leper now we know that Jesus is establishing himself as the Messiah he's been teaching and they've been asking about his authority and so these miracles are here to validate what Jesus is doing but if I'm the leper there's only one thing that I care about and that's the fact that this man gave me hope this man made me well this man cured me of a problem that no earthly remedy could take care of. In verse 4, Jesus says, don't tell anybody, but go to the priest and make this offering. And this is why Jesus wanted to know to show those religious people that made the sacrifices, that were to be praying for people to be healed, that were praying that God could do miraculous things, that God had showed up. And friends, today I want you to know something. Now I know tonight most of you are Southern Baptists. You've been in Baptist for years. You've been in church for years. You've, you forgot what you were like before you were saved. But this world needs to know that it doesn't matter where they've been or what they've done, how wicked they are, how awful they are, how much the world has given them up, that if Jesus touches you, everything changes. And friends, we see that, that God is giving hope to people who have 
None. Now, friends, I am politically conservative. You know how I vote and how I think you should vote. And I've said it way too many times from the pulpit. Probably should lose our tax exemption because I've said it so many times. But there's one thing that I want you to know that I believe above anything else. And that is I don't care where you have been, what you have done. I believe that Jesus died for sinners. I believe he died for all of them. And so with that homosexual that no one else wants to be around, that drunkard who has ruined his marriage, that, that individual that the world has given up on, God can touch them and change everything about them. Not only does he heal the worst diseases, he heals the worst people. You see, this next story is about a Gentile. Not just a Gentile, but a Roman soldier. Them and tax collectors would have been the most hated people in the Jewish world. And listen to what it says in verses 5 through 13. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you would come under my roof. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into utter darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to the servant centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed the same hour. You see, for the Jewish person that is watching this, they're the chosen people of God. They have a special relationship with God. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was prideful because of that relationship. They would talk about it, but yet they wouldn't listen to it. And here Jesus is telling them, the group of people that you look down on, the group of people that you can't stomach, the group of people that you don't love or want anything to do with, I have found greater faith in him than in any child of Israel. Why do you think that is? Jesus was showing them not only could he change the worst of diseases, he could answer the prayer of the worst people. Now, God didn't call him the worst people, but the Jews considered him the worst kind of person. And he even says, there are going to be people in heaven. There are going to be people in heaven someday. They're going to be sitting by Abraham and Isaac and Jacob he says, but it's not Gentiles or Jews. It's not, that's not what separates you on judgment day. It's not black or white, rich or poor, educated or uneducated. 
It is, are you a son or daughter of Jesus Christ, a born-again believer into the family of God, or are you lost? You see, the saved will be with him. The sons of the kingdom he's talking about are those people who think they're the Jewish people who are trusting that their Jewish faith can get them to heaven. But it can't. Your ethnicity, your nationality, your religious affiliation cannot get you into the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus says, you are saved by grace through faith, is what the apostle Paul wrote. And so it's a reminder today that you can look the part, you can act the part, you can talk the part, but unless you have faith that God has given you, friends, you will be in outer darkness. It even talks about that. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, I want you to know the Bible teaches a place called hell. It is a place that will be eternal. It is not going to ever cease. The only thing that will change is they will be thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And friends, today you can think you're right with God. You can act like you're right with God. You can dress like you're right with God. But today I ask you, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? He says, this centurion has greater faith that I can answer his prayer, heal his servant. And those last seven, eight words are my favorite. And his servant was healed that same hour. Third thing I want to show you from this text about the healing miracles and ministries of Jesus is not only did he heal those with the worst of diseases, not only did he heal those that the world said were the worst, he healed those that we care about. See right here in verses 14 and 15, Peter's mother-in-law was healed. In verse 14, now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and served them. You see, Christian, I want to remind you that we are to pray for all men, but it is not wrong to pray for the people that you love the most. Friends, you ought to weep and pray over your lost family and friends. You ought to be fasting for the people that are closest to you in this life. Now, I don't know Peter's relationship to his mother-in-law. I don't know if she was a good mother-in-law, a bad mother-in-law. I have no idea. But to Peter's wife, since he have to have a wife to have a mother-in-law, I hope you get that, she was probably pretty important. And yet God healed her. You see, sometimes we think that God can only reach the wicked. God can only reach the broken. God can only reach those that the world has given up on. But I'm telling you, I want God to work and move in the lives of people closest to me. I have, as you know, six children. Two of those children are saved. But I pray every day, multiple times a day, that when the other four are old enough, that they would be saved. Why? Because I love you, and I want you to go to heaven. But I'm telling you, I want them to go to heaven even more. You say, well, Jake, that's wrong. I don't believe it's wrong. I believe it's just the way it is. 
It's when those people that we care about, that we love, that when they're hurting, when they're broken. How many of you have ever prayed this way and made this statement? I can pray for all these other people and God does things. But when I pray for my own family, it seems like nothing ever changes. I think we need to be reminded by God that not only does he heal the worst of diseases, not only does he heal the worst of people, but he heals those that we care the most about. But I want you to notice something tonight because I'm going to quickly bring this to an end. Don't miss this fourth and final point. Jesus always heals and works for a greater purpose. You see, this man who was healed of leprosy, that was a big deal, but that wasn't the most important thing. You see, this centurion's servant that was healed, it was important that he could serve, but it wasn't the most important thing. You see, Peter's mother-in-law being healed was important, but it wasn't most important. Listen to what it says in verses 16 and 17. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word. And he healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. You see, everything that Jesus ever did was to show people that he was the one. That he was the Messiah. He was the hope. He was the answer. And friends, when you look through the Gospels and you see Jesus at work, it wasn't just for him to be at work. It was for people to be able to understand and to know and to see that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is. And friends, I believe that God still answers prayer. I believe that God can still do miracles. But throughout the entire Old Testament, miracles and signs and wonders, they came in seasons and they don't talk about it in seasons. Now, I don't believe that they weren't happening, but I believe there's a reason. I believe that Moses, that miracles were there to validate that Moses was God's messenger. I believe in the days of Elijah and Elisha, it was to show that these men had a message from God. And so I don't believe that the goal is every, ever the miracles that God produces. It is the fact that he is drawing a testimony for himself with people. And today, you need to believe that whether God uses you to pray for a sick person that is healed or whether God calls you to pray for a sick person who isn't earthly healed, but is heavenly healed, that God is giving you an opportunity to tell others that he is the one. You see, friends, sometimes we forget that God is still trying to use you and I as a testimony in the world. You see, I've sat with... Uh, I think it's 42 people as they have taken their last breath in this world. 42, I believe. And you ask why I would remember that number. It's not because I'm sick and twisted. It is because every single one of those times, God has given me an opportunity 
to minister to the family. To be able to sit there and talk to them about the fact that, you know, I know it's not easy. I know it's not pleasant. But if they knew Jesus and you know Jesus, one of these days, one of these days, you will see them again. And friends, there's no greater hope that we can give people that one of these days, I'm going to not only see Jesus, but I'm going to see my loved ones again. And I'm going to have a home that I didn't even have to work for. I'm going to have a home that God prepared for us. And friends, it's in those moments that you can use even a heavenly healing as a testimony. You say, well, Jake, what about praying for people who have cancer and other diseases and they're not cured? How does that a testimony when we pray for people and God doesn't miraculously heal them? It's an opportunity for us to tell them that this world is not our home. Friends, only people that don't have a heavenly home focus only on this one. There's an old song, and I don't, can't remember who sang it. My brain doesn't work. Some of you older people will know, probably. Maybe some younger people, I don't know. But it starts talking about how his home is in need of repair. But the closer he gets to leaving, he's not worried anymore. The shutters need replacing. The Does anybody know the name of that song? This old house. There's another one, Jamie. I'm not saying you need to sing it tonight, but it soon would be good. No. <laughs> and friends, most of us are so focused on fixing this house that our heavenly home matters not. But when you can live in the face of great adversity, when you can live in the face of heartache and pain and suffering and say, this old house... This old home's wearing out, but I'm going to one that never will. You see, it's just as powerful as a testimony if God healed the blind. You say, well, I don't think it would be. I don't care what you think or not. God's word is the answer. God's word to hurting and broken people is the answer. And his word made us a promise. But if you know him, and I know him, one of these days, when we take our last breath, this God who healed the leper, <laughs> this God who healed the servant, this God who healed Peter's mother-in-law, this God who healed all the demon-possessed, this God who healed all the sick people that they brought to him, those people all died. One of these days, because I know the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Messiah that the Bible talked about, I'm going to get a healing that never goes bad. I'm going to get a healing that will never wear out. And friends, that's the hope that we have in Jesus. Not for earthly answers, even though they're nice. <laughs> I don't think anybody wakes up and says, Lord, I'm sick, but I don't want you to get, make me any better. Lord, I've got the worst foot fungus you've ever seen. Double it. I don't, by the way. <laughs> oh, you're thinking, ew. 
I'm down on my back today. You shouldn't say this. Maybe I can use it to, to, to not do anything. Wife, bring me some lemonade. No, we want to be well. But friends, remember that maybe God doesn't heal you here so that your testimony could be, I'm waiting on the real thing. I'm waiting on the real answer. And even though I might not have seen God heal me here, He's never left me. He's never abandoned me. He's never forsaken me. You see, more times than not, the miraculous healing isn't going to come. But what I can promise you is that every time, the God that can do the miraculous healing is there. And that's what people need to hear. And friends, if you've been miraculously healed, you ought to give God the glory every chance you get. But friends, even if you haven't experienced the miraculous healing, you ought to give Him glory every chance that you get. Because people don't need an earthly healer. They need a spiritual healer. And there's only one who can wash your sins all away. There's only one who can wash you as white as snow. There's only one fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And his name is Jesus Christ. He's the hope for you. He's the hope for your family. He's the hope for this church. And it's your job and mine to make sure that all the world knows who he is. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Father, tonight I pray that you would continue to work through the conclusion of this service. Lord, during this time of invitation, I pray that you would break our hearts, Lord, for the people in our lives that need a touch from you the most. Father, whether it's a physical healing, whether it's a spiritual healing, Lord, tonight I pray that this church would fall on its face before you, God, and say, Lord, give us the faith of the leper man. Lord, give us the faith of the centurion. Lord, give us the faith to believe that you and you alone are the healer and the great God who saves us. Father, I pray tonight that we would seek your face. Father, tonight I pray in this place tonight for anyone that doesn't know you, has never trusted you as the Lord and Savior of their life, that your spirit, God, I can't talk them into it, would be drawing people to yourself. Lord, that you would be convicting those who don't know you to be saved. And Lord, for those in this room tonight that do know you, but have given up hope, who have given up the belief that you can work and move in their life. Maybe there's sin in their life that no one else knows about, but they don't think they can find forgiveness. That tonight you would show them there is hope, there is forgiveness, there is restoration, Lord through Jesus and him alone. And Father, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.